I do understand um, that we have some guests with us from Florida today. Um, and by the way, any of you who are guests today, we just welcome you here. But um, I just couldn't help but think that, you know, it's bright and sunshiny out, but it's kind of a bait and switch for you, isn't it? You know, <laughs> coming into the, walking out into the weather today, a little bit cooler than maybe what you're used to. I remember we vacationed somewhere, I think it was Arizona one time. There was an 80 degree difference between when we left where we were, at least, you know, the, the, the time we were there to when we got back home. And that was a wake up call. So anyway, speaking of wake up calls, we're going to be looking at a call for peace today. And as we look at the scriptures here, I first want to give us a, a little bit of review, a time to just remember where we've been. We've recently covered the expansive subject of love. Um, we did not cover that exhaustively by any means, but we gained a general understanding of what love is in the scriptures and how it is used. Uh, certainly, we, we saw the love of God in, in, in those things that we looked at. We focused our attention on the deliberate, committed, self-sacrificing type of love that Paul is using here in our context in Colossians chapter 3.14. So just want to refresh you on that. It says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. This love is above all the other spiritual traits that we are to put on, these spiritual traits that are in Christ. And love completes all of these other character qualities and it interconnects them. That's that whole idea of it being a bond. Love energizes them and enables them to work together. So that was what we talked about last week. So let's remind ourselves this week just of the context that we're talking about. I want us to give a, give a broader context of Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading for you verses 1 through 17 in this chapter. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Uh, we've done this a couple of times. We've been going through this because we're taking like lines of scripture and looking at them, but it's good to remember, okay, what is surrounding all of this? Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. Okay, this was once our lifestyle, everyone's lifestyle before Christ. But now... You must put off all of these. And so there's an added list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And then put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bear with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
and just a note today's, right? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So this is kind of acclimated as to where we're going to be today. And so what I want to talk about today, again, is this idea of peace. And so the first thing is, you know, what is the peace of God? Colossians 3.15 is, is where we're going to be, where we see the, the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's talk a little bit about what peace is not first. Peace is not 100% agreement in all things, thus having no disagreement. I'll give you a quick story. There was a gentleman in our, at a church many, many years ago. I was in high school. His name was Wilson Galbraith. I always kind of liked that name. though. It was kind of cool. But anyway, um, we were voting on, we, we were in a business meeting. So I know that we have young people here. Your favorite thing is to sit through a church business meeting, right? You know? Well, there we were in a church business meeting, and they were talking about buying a riding mower for the church. And Wilson Galbraith got up and said, I don't think this is a good idea. We have a very small lawn. And he was right about that. We're going to spend a lot of money. And we're talking about a teenage young man who's going to be mowing the lawn. We don't need to spend the money on a riding mower. Um, there was a feeling, a little bit of tension, maybe a little irritation in the room because Wilson didn't agree with pretty much everyone else. But you know what? Wilson stuck to what he believed. He wasn't belligerent about it. He just simply said, this is not a good idea. In the end, Wilson was right. He was concerned that this young person was going to mow a couple of times and not mow anymore. And that's exactly what happened. Now, no offense to you teenagers, but he didn't do it right. And so the lawnmower sat in the church garage. Okay? I took note of that. I mean, even back then, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm watching this exchange take place, and then I kind of see the end result, and it's like, huh. See, to disagree appropriately doesn't necessarily mean that that's dissension. And so it doesn't mean that we can't have peace just because we don't see the eye, eye to eye on every item. Okay? Now, again, there's limits to that, but I'm just throwing that out there. Also, peace is not maintaining control through coercion or domination. Right? We have great peace here because <laughs> we keep our people in line. Right? That's, that's not peace. Therefore, peace cannot simply mean that you only act or think like me or that I only think or act like you. Because, by the way, it can be that even someone within the church, without leadership per se, can try to dominate as well, right? It can happen. I've seen it happen. The peace of God cannot be attained or maintained while we compromise or disobey God's word. How can we have peace if we're, if we're doing the wrong thing, right? So these things kind of help us understand that, you know, there's, there's some things that are just simply not peace, so what is the general meaning of peace? And, and I'm speaking, obviously, a little more along the lines of biblical terms, but 
The word for peace here carries with it the idea of harmony. Peace is maintaining godly character even in disagreement. Maintaining godly character even in disagreement. Now let's add the next layer here, the peace of God. We could also say that this is the peace that comes from God or is given by God. Paul has already talked about this peace in Colossians before. Um, Colossians 1-2, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a greeting. Peter and John greeted uh, those that they wrote to by desiring peace for them as well. And Paul uses this greeting often to the different churches that he wrote to. At times, New Testament authors also end their letters with a blessing or instruction of peace or harmony. This is deeper than a simple greeting like, how you doing? Right? This greeting here has some substance to it. It's often coupled with grace, and Paul is desiring that they would uh, have or experience peace from God and Christ. We see this again in Colossians 1, in verses 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile or make a right relationship with, right, all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The peace in our hearts is the harmony that God gives us through Christ because we are now in Christ. We are no longer an enemy at war with God. We are no longer at cross purposes. We are now reconciled. Only the Lord can give this kind of peace for our souls. Now, some of you probably have a modern translation in front of you, and many modern translations have here the peace of Christ. And, and frankly, I'm covering this because you're probably looking at your Bibles and going, mine doesn't say God, okay? And here's an example from the ESV. The New American Standard Version does the same thing. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts or let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, again, I'm only noting this because it, it, it would possibly be an issue. Um, I, I think we can make a good case for this reference to be Christ. Uh, it, we're really talking about two families of documents that, that these uh, Bible translations came from. But I, I just want to just, again, cover it so that we don't have any confusion. Paul's greatest emphasis was on the deity of Christ as he writes this letter to the Colossians. He wrote many other letters, but the deity of Christ was, was by far a huge subject in this letter. We already referred to two verses in Colossians that clearly establish that our peace comes from Christ. Paul is talking specifically about Jesus in verses 13 and 16 that we read a little bit earlier. So in this rather odd case, we don't violate the text or theology, whether this peace comes from God the Father or God the Son. Because in context, it has already come from both. Okay? The first um, reference, uh, Paul first references the peace of God that he's talking about here to the individual believer. The to which that we see here, right? I have that highlighted the same as peace, is referring back to this idea of peace. So when it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, right? 
It's really saying that that peace of God also you were called into, right? He's referring directly back to that peace. So we also see here that corporate peace, the peace of the group, the peace of the church, it's a result of individual peace. But we need to understand that Paul's true emphasis is peace or harmony within the church, within the body of Christ. He's acknowledging this peace that we all have because we, we've been reconciled to the Lord. But his emphasis is the harmony, the, the, the continuity that we have with one another. It results from what Christ has done, but his end result here is that it affects all of us, okay? So the Holy Spirit supernaturally included in this passage that we were called to peace as a church, that we were called to peace as a body. This is an appeal to transform that individual peace from Christ that we have in our hearts to a corporate harmony, to a group mentality. And it's no accident that Paul refers to peace after giving the character traits that we are to continually, to actively put on as we live, right? Forgiveness and patience and love, all those different things that we talked about, for example. So peace or harmony in the church is a desire to maintain unity, even if it means setting aside our own preferences overlooking offenses, or bearing with the difference of others. So now that we've examined Paul's desire for the church to maintain harmony, we need to consider that there are some things we must guard against in order to have a shared peace, right? If he's telling us to do this, there are possibly some things that can prevent us from having that peace. Uh, folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up, you know, I'm kind of newer to the church. I don't know the deep history here. So nothing that I'm going to suggest or say is, is somehow saying that there's a problem or anything. But I've seen some of these things happen in previous ministries, okay? All I'm trying to say is, is that there's some scriptures that speak to this, and we would be unwise to just kind of gloss over and say, you know, kumbaya, you know, everything's good. And we have to guard against it. It, it takes some work. And so one of the things we have to work at is not doing the things that destroy peace, that remove it from us as a body of believers. So that's what we're going to do. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, I mean, it, it, it's a tendency in Scripture because it's a tendency in life. There's a little more negative than there is positive. I'm not enjoying that, but we are going to end with the positive, okay? So just keep that in mind. So here we go. The obstacles to peace. We looked at what peace, the peace of God is. Now the obstacles of peace. First thing is false teaching. Uh, that's not a shocker to anybody, right? You know, if, if, if we have someone in our midst who is spreading false doctrine, we're not talking about differences of interpretation here and there. We're talking about somebody who is spreading a false gospel or the wrong things related to what the scriptures actually mean. That can be a big problem. And so we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. 
but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who oppose, suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Sometimes it takes separation in order to maintain peace. Okay? Let's move on. This was mentioned here, right? But worthless debate. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. 2 Timothy 2.23. All right? So this is, again, another instruction that Paul is giving to the pastor Timothy. And he says, don't worry about arguing over things that don't matter. Right? right? There, there is very few things in my past that I have seen that are, that are more divisive than getting all hot and bothered about things that really don't matter. That's where we set aside some of our preferences and some of those other things. Another one is pride. We've got a couple of verses here, and Proverbs gives us some wonderful things to look at here. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So, so pride in and of itself is going to create conflict, right? And then Proverbs 28, 25, he who is of proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. So we see here that pride in and of itself, right? When, when someone feels like they're better than everybody else, that in and of itself is going to create problems, right? It's not humility, <laughs> which is, again, one of those things that we're to be putting on based upon the character that we have now in Christ. Let's move on. Selfishness. Not quite the same thing, but close. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. It's just to sound familiar to you. Only do not use your liberty, your freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh, for selfish living. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour, that doesn't sound like peace, does it? Not peace is, peace, right? If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Folks, this is graphic pur purposefully. This is not talking about cannibalism, all right? But it's talking about the, 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 the verbal, the, the things that we can do that can just tear one another apart. That does not make for unity. That does not make for peace. Another one that I think is essential to look at is anger. And again, we'll stay in the book of Proverbs. Or we'll be in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I got him one out of whack here again. Why did I do that? Okay. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Proverbs 29, 22. Pride stirs up strife. What does anger do? Same thing. How about complaining? None of us do that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Wow. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. In other words, Paul's saying, 
I don't want all of the work that I've tried to accomplish in Christ to, to turn up empty, right? right? Because you get all worried about the things that don't matter. And there's complaining and disputing. Notice what it says here. So we're going to have to kind of look at the mere image of this. If we are marked by unity, if we are marked by a harmony together, right? It's going to show. It's going to be noticed. There's a testimony there of what God has done. What hits the front pages, right? Fist fight breaks out in Baptist church over carpet color, right? <laughs> Film at 11. That's an old saying they used to say. Anyway. <laughs> Another thing that we have is a critical spirit or troublemaker. Let me read this verse and then talk about that in a minute. It says, For the lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Someone to kind of get things going, right? As charcoal to hot embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Folks, I don't understand this, but there are people who just like to stir things up. They're not happy unless there's some drama, unless there's some kind of intrigue going on. I don't understand that. But that's what kind of gets them going. Watching other people mix it up, mixing up with other people, being argumentative, whatever it is. And then Proverbs 22.10, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Go figure, right? Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Now, please understand, my emphasis here is not, you know, let's kick somebody out. That's, just, that's not where we're at at all, okay? What we're trying to say here is this. There is an extreme to this issue. Like, there, there could be some, some real difficult decisions to make sure what takes place, to make sure that there is peace and unity. But understand, we're not talking, again, about just a simple disagreement or, or a, a, a difference of perspective. We're talking about people whose intentions are selfish, right. whose desires are harm. All right? That, that, that's clear in here. So, again, it's, it's not, you know, oh, man, I better stay in line. That's, that's, that's not what we're talking about at all here. It, it, it's, actually, it's actually not even close to that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. One other thing that can harm um, uh, a sense of, of harmony in the church is jealousy or envy. For you are still carnal, for where, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not, you are not, car are you not carnal? <laughs> I can't speak today. <laughs> carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? In this context, basically the Corinthians were, were saying, hey, uh, Paul baptized me and Apollos baptized me. Or I, I'm, I'm following these guys. like they're, they're the best speaker in the church, right? So I'm, I'm aligning with them. And so there began to be divisions. And it had to do with this, this envying and, and, and positioning and things like that. And so that was something that, of course, Paul saw and was concerned about. So these are the things that we've got to be careful of. Um, are they always like, 
real big serious things that can be easily identified? No. But this even goes back to the heart, folks. We've really got to be on guard about these things. We might be offended and we might not forgive properly. And then later on we see that we can say or do something to kind of get back at that person, right? Or whatever it might be. So let's be careful. Let's be careful. Let's move on to the more positive side of things. The enablers of peace. There are lots of things that we can and should do to create a sense of harmony in our church. Let's talk about just some general thoughts first. For most of us, what does it take for us to say that our shirt or our blouse or our pants are dirty? Is it one wearing or a stain? That's probably the standard for most of us, right? Um, Although I will admit that in my study, there are times when my sweats go a little while. But anyway, if I get a little sauce or something on my shirt, you know, I feel like it needs to be cleaned. I'm not going to go out with, you know, hey, you know, I'm a commercial for ragu, right? (laughs) You don't want to do that. And the scratch and sniff shirt, you know what I mean? So 99% of the material might be fine, right? But that 1% makes it dirty. It doesn't take much. We can say a similar thing when it comes to sin. James 2.10 tells us that if we violate the law in one point, we've broken the whole law. Now, I'm not saying this is exactly the same for harmony, but it's close. Harmony is much easier to lose than to maintain. Harmony is much easier to lose than to maintain. Now, let me pause for a minute. I did mention we have some guests here, and I'm not certainly picking on you guests, okay? But I'm saying you're not a part of us, right? So apply that wherever you go to church. But then beyond that, we can apply this in our homes. We can apply this as far as we can to any situation. But the emphasis is still on the church. I want us to understand that. So how can we cultivate and maintain a healthy togetherness in our church? First, let's go back to what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We kind of encapsulated some of these in love because we talked about how love really puts these things together. And so I just, I'm just going to put up the whole, the whole thing here. In Colossians 3, we see that, again, as I mentioned before, kindness and patience and forgiveness and different things like that, a compassionate heart. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we kept... Uh, we, we didn't add the things that are already listed in Colossians 3 because it does say love is kind, etc. But there's some other things here. There's some things that love doesn't do. So if we're putting on the character of Christ on a regular basis, if, if, if in other words, we are living a consistent Christian life and we are loving others with that, with that self-sacrificing, others-oriented type of love, then these are the qualities that we're going to be putting on. One of the reasons that it's so essential to continue to put on the character of Christ is to maintain unity within the church. It's not an accident that this follows all the things that Paul has just talked about. So as we think about this, it's an all-encapsulating character issue, right? When we're living out our faith right, we are going to be contributing to the peace, to the togetherness, to the oneness that we need as a body of believers. 
The other thing that I see here is, is a, an ad attitude of humility and submission. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And it's pretty obvious. Yes, if leadership in the church is constantly putting out fires and trying to deal with different squabbles and things, that, that's, that's not profitable for the church, not profitable for the body. Now, I know because I know me. There might be this tendency. It's like, ah, here it comes, right? <laughs> here it comes now. He was saying nice things before, but hey, you need to be submissive. Here it comes. And the answer is yes. I'm not going to pull back from this. This is scripture. The body needs to be submissive to the leadership that is put in place. Why soft pedal this? If the leadership has the same character that Christ does. Right? But we're not going to finish there because there is more scripture related to submission, to humility. 1 Peter 5.5 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Folks, this is a verse we like. We quote it. Look at the context. The context is that we're submissive to one another. And it even goes farther than that in Ephesians 5.21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. It says it straight out. It's not, not even talking about ages. What does that mean? That means that to a degree, truth is truth. And authority is not based upon an office that we hold. Authority is based upon the truth. So if someone were to come to us and say, hey, you know, you kind of said something to me and it really hit me crossways and blah, 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 right? And you turn around and say, sorry, too bad for you, right? No. It would be like, I, I, I need to submit to that. I need to be humble and say, you know, I, I'm sorry that I came across that way. Whether the intentions were there or not, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sorry that I offended you by what I said. Okay? Or how about this? How about a teacher or a pastor, right? And we're teaching away, and someone says, oh, hey, you know, I saw this perspective here. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I was just going to make that point, right? Because I have to be smarter than you. You see where I'm going? No, we submit to that and say, excellent point. Thank you, man. I did not see that. That's a dumb little thing. But the point is, there's that pride can kick in, right? So we are to... Be humble and submit to one another. And there's, there's different ways we can do that. I tried to illustrate some. Then there's this area of wisdom. I love this verse here. James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. That word peaceable there means peace-loving. Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. I, come on, folks. You know, we, we like our theology and everything. This is some amazing emotions here, isn't it? This is from the Word of God. 
This is a real feel-good verse. And it's all about what? Being good to each other. Right? It goes on. Without partiality, without hypocrisy. In other words, I don't pick and choose whether or not I'm peaceable and gentle and willing to yield based upon who it is. Because I might favor them. And I don't live a hip... hip, hip. I'm not a hypocrite. Sorry. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So godly wisdom is first pure. We see that. But the next characteristic is, again, a peaceable or peace-loving spirit. This is, a, this is a form of the same word that we see here in Colossians 3.15, the word that we're really looking at. So let's remind ourselves that wisdom is properly applying what we know. It's taking truth and doing the right thing with it. So if we are wise in putting on the character of Christ, then our wise living will bring us peace and encourage peace in our church. And then within the context, we have this word thankfulness. It says, and be thankful. Now this comes directly from our text, as I mentioned, but it's not an afterthought. It's not Paul saying, oh, oh, oh and, and be thankful too, Right? Thankfulness is a definite theme of Paul's and it wells up from his own salvation experience. This comes from just Paul having that reconciliation in his own life of him meeting Jesus and having him change his life forever. See, having a mindset of thankfulness will free us from many of the obstacles of peace that we discussed. Being thankful is yet another thing that we need to work on so that it becomes second nature, right? It's not always the easiest thing to do to to just give thanks and everything. And frankly, we have to teach our kids that. I had to be taught that, you know? Christmas time with all the relatives, we get a package. Ooh, great. Say thank you, Scotty, right? Why? Because I'm all about me right now and what's in the wrapper. We need to be appreciative. And so when we are having this mindset of thankfulness for what God has provided for us, including, right, all of us together, then it's going to prevent some of those other things from happening because we're thankful, we are appreciative of all of the gifts of God in our own life and then obviously in the lives of everybody else. So let's kind of bring this to a close here. Let's, let's wrap some of these things together. When we engage these enablers, right, these things that we are to do positively, these things that, that are, are related to our character and related to, to um, a, a mindset that we have, uh, we will maintain a closeness, a sense of community. It's just the result of what is going to take place. We'll be free from dissensions, factions, and conflicts. And again, like I say, I'm not assuming that they're there. I'm just simply saying this is the way to stop it and a way to promote, right, that harmony that we need to have as a body of believers. So I I will confess for just a moment here, I, I did hold back one thing until now, an important part of the text, which I, I just, I really like this part. I saved one of the elements until now. 
and I believe it is naturally geared for application. So let's take everything that we have thought through up to this point and consider this last part. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now again, he's talking about that peace of God rule in our hearts individually for the purpose of a whole church harmony, a whole church peace, okay? There is no mistaking the meaning of rule in the Greek. It means to referee or officiate, which, sorry for some of you ladies, that means that I get to go to sports for an illustration once again, okay? (laughs) But we can all relate to this. Let's think of our church family as if we're participating in a sport. Not that we're just playing games, okay, and it's not a spiritual (laughs) analogy here. It's just we're in a sport. Every sport has a formal how you play the game side of it, right? Um, Badminton doesn't require boxing gloves, okay? With football, you don't use a volleyball. Volleyball is for volleyball, right? There are not a series of nets on a football field, (laughs) okay? That's not one of the obstacles. It's not one of the things that you have to deal with. There is specific equipment, goals, boundaries, etc., that literally make the sport what it is. It defines it. The referees make sure that the game is played properly. Now, I will allow us one moment to say that's what they're supposed to do. (laughs) We've all seen cases where they really don't, okay? But now we're back to the church, okay? (laughs) Peace is to rule or referee in our hearts to make sure that we are living properly in this community of followers of Christ. The peace of God is to oversee or appreciate our hearts so that our words and actions will maintain the peace in the church. Referring back to our example of sports, peace is to referee our hearts so that we play church correctly. We can all understand that, right? And the goal, right, the touchdown, is that the church has peace. Each of our own hearts, refereed by the peace of God, will keep us playing by the rules. And our own hearts should throw a penalty flag when we aren't thinking or acting correctly. We're going to have a little fun here, okay? Instead of a 15-yard personal foul penalty, right, we forgive. Right? Personal foul. Well, we're not going to march something off. We're going to forgive that person. And, and if we have fouled someone, we're going to ask for forgiveness. Okay? Our hearts are going to throw a flag up if we start to lend ourselves toward gossip. We're going to have a warning. Hey, you're getting close to out of bounds, right? You're kind of, you know, tiptoeing over there if our pride starts to well in us. If we have a very honest difference of opinion, but it starts to turn into, I want my way. 
I'm going to be selfish, right? Then the referee of our hearts, for the sake of the peace, should be throwing a flag and saying, hey, don't do that. We'll call that holding. Don't hold on to something, (laughs) right? Get rid of it. So in all these different things, all we're simply doing is maintaining and doing what we've already said we're to do. We've identified some things that can be a problem for the peace and harmony in the church. Let's avoid doing those things. So in reality, all we've done is take this big picture look and apply it to a very important part that Paul outlines here of church life. It's not just, uh, let's just all get along together, right? It's, it's, not, it's not saying we're not going to be concerned about wrongdoing. We're not going to compromise just so that everybody's happy. But it's moving forward with the same mindset. It's moving forward, developing the same character. And it's all for the purpose, really, as we saw in one of our passages, of being a shining light for the world, of doing it differently. Even when we might even have a spirited argument. Now, I know that word. Oh, arguing, that's sinful. Arguing is an exchange of ideas, right? You argue, you give your points, I argue my position, and we have this give and take. You know, some schools used to have what they called debate class. All they were was arguing points, okay? An argument, right, where it starts to get personal and, you know, that kind of stuff. No, that's, that's not right. But there might be times when, you know, there's even some emotion involved. It, it, we, we just can't uh, go beyond the character that we're supposed to have. That's all. There should be some things that we're passionate about. So it's not about controlling a narrative. It's not about trying to figure out whether it's you or even me, right? What direction everybody ought to take because of what I think. But it's all of us saying, man, I am so thankful for what God has done in my heart and life. I am so thankful for what God has done in your heart and life that I want to make sure that we're together on this. That we're together on this, right? Now, again, you guys know I'm, I've got my silly examples, but this is one of them. I'm, I, I try to warn you. I'm not a big fan of cats. I know, see? There's some people that are like, yes! There's other people that are like, you're evil, right? You know? That's my point. I could get up here and I could give all kinds of analogies, all kinds of examples of Satan and cats. You know, just kidding. You you, you understand my point. What I'm saying is I could say some things that could offend some of you, right? And I could, you know, just jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, kind of let you know that I don't like cats. What's the purpose? You see what I'm trying to say? Now, if you're offended that I don't like cats, I'm sorry. That's, that's me. I, 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 don't, I don't like them. But I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, and I'm not going to diminish your love for cats. Okay? 
That's it. Anyway. <laughs> I don't understand it, but anyway. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? No. No. Appreciate that. But that can be any number of things that we can do as we interact with one another, right? We can let a personal preference, frankly, we can become a jerk. <laughs> and I don't want to get up here and be a jerk pastor. I'm mean, just being honest. So why use an analogy? Why use an example? <laughs> well, placed statements. Anyway, <laughs> and, and so, so why would I use something that would alienate, you know, two of you? Now, see, I'm doing it again. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Do you understand that? <laughs> you understand all this is part of the example, right? It can be subtle. It can be, you know what I mean. But it's just, it's just a tag. I, really, I'm doing that on purpose to make a point. So here's what I'm trying to say: If you love cats, I love you. Right? I love you. If I'm at your house and they start to get on me, I love you. <laughs> you understand? And somehow, for some reason, I am the cat magnet when I go into people's homes. They're like, they're like oh, one of them. <laughs> anyway, that I'm not taking back. So anyway, the, the, the point is this. The point is this. Those things are worthless. Has nothing even to do with theology or anything else. But that could be something that could become offensive. Right? And so, we, so we, we don't want to be doing that to one another. We want to do things to maintain peace, to encourage peace, all right? And we need to end because someone needs to answer their phone, and that's okay. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we can, we can have a little bit of fun with, with what the scriptures say, but for appropriate reasons. And as we, as we think, Lord, of, of just what can be some very personal... This is personal. It's people getting along together. It's people coming together under your authority, under your leadership, but it's personal. And we're going to have our life experiences and we're going to have all these things that we're all kind of putting together in this big pot. And yet we hear very clearly that we need to be about peace. And we need to maintain it. We need to take care of it. We need to cultivate it. Not a cookie-cutter Christianity, but a conformity to Jesus. Lord, I hope that we are a people that think for ourselves, that worship you, that have come to you, that want to serve you because of what you have done in and through us individually, but all of that needs to come together with this idea to which we were called to have that unity of the body, to have that harmony in the church. Lord, I pray that we will work hard at maintaining it. I do thank you, Lord, that, that we do love one another. That as we move together, forward together, that I do believe that we have a, a, a spirit that is about this. But as we just tried to mention, it can, it can be affected quite quickly. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll guard us against 
those things that can come against it and that will be obedient for the different ways that we can cultivate it. The peace, the harmony of Christ in each of us and in us collectively. In Christ's name, amen.